think it's worth? I mean, if it was if it was like the legit uh, uh, canvas, if it was if it was the full size, how much do you think it was worth? Four thousand. Four point three million. Okay, what what if I told you uh, this was uh, like recently discovered to be one of Van Gogh's last drawings? How much would it be worth then? What if I told you like it sold for like a, a an art collector saw it, had to have it, knew it was Van Gogh, and paid a hundred million dollars for it? <laughs> He's crazy in love with that painting, baby. <laughs> you know, in in the art world, uh, from that day forward, it's going to sell for more than that. The next buyer is going to have to buy it for more than that. Do you know that? Uh, and so, what? No matter what you guys thought this painting was worth, some said twenty dollars, some said four thousand. What it's actually worth is a hundred million dollars. Do you know why? Because that's what someone would pay for it. What did God pay for you? He saw you and realized who the painter was. And he had to have you. He had to have you. Do you know that from the moment he bought you, you will forever be worth at least the blood of the Son of God? Forever. That art collector bought you, and that's what you're worth. Do you know what uh, the root of the word worthy is? Worth. He made you worthy of his love because that's what you're worth. He made you worthy of the price that he paid for you because that is what you were worth to him. See, we have this uh, epidemic of what I would call false humility, a.k.a. self-hatred, where when someone says something great about us or compliments us in some way, we say, oh, it wasn't me. I mean, it was Jesus. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, it's no big deal. No, like, you're great. He put greatness inside of you, and he said, this is what you're worth, way more than $100 million. You're worth God dying on a cross. That's what you're worth. And so, um, <clears throat> but we always try to convince people that we're not that cool. And we call it humility when it's really self-hatred. We're disagreeing with the truth. True humility is agreeing with the truth. This, this is what he said we're worth. And we'll forever be worth that. He said you're beautiful. And that's the truth. He said that you're brilliant, that you're gifted, that you're going to change the world, that you've got greatness inside of you, that you were made to take over nations. You know, I think that um, I've realized that 
you won't be able to receive a compliment until you actually believe you're awesome. Something has to change in, in, in your um, opinion of yourself. Something has to change. Um, we just took up a, a tithe. Hopefully it was like a million dollars. Like Vince said, that would be really cool. But, you know, I, I'm not actually surprised when I find out how few Christians actually tithe biblically. I'm not surprised. And I'm not surprised to see so few believers walking in the kind of generosity that's demonstrated in Scripture. And I'm not surprised when believers are not really known for doling out love and mercy the way that we were made to. I'm not surprised. Do you know why I'm not surprised? Because so few of us actually let the Lord love us. So you will never know how to freely give until we've freely received. See, he gave us these gifts. He, he, Jesus talks about you freely give because you freely receive. That's in Matthew 10, 8 when he's sending out the disciples. So the disciples have received for free this love from Jesus. And now Jesus says, you've received this love, this deliverance, and this healing from me for free. Go give it out for free. And so they were giving out something that they had received. So can a gift be earned? No. It's participatory, no. (laughs) A gift cannot be earned. If it could be earned, it would make it a wage, right? Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So Vincent talks about this in a really cool way. He says, like, at one point we were working for an evil corporation and the wages that we were earning was death. God saw us, snatched us out of there, said he had to have us and placed us basically in a kingdom of gifts. Pretty much. I mean, I I added a little bit. No, it was all you. It was all you. (laughs) Isaiah 55.1 says, Ho! Ho! Oh, Lord bless Miss Ho. Miss Ho. 55 says Ho. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and drink. And it talks about getting free wine and free bread, milk. And it says, why would, you spend, why would you spend your money on what doesn't satisfy? Come and get awesomeness for free. Get this free water. Revelation twenty two seventeen says that the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty just come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. See, we have nothing to give because we are still trying to earn what was meant to be free. That means that any love that people receive from us has to be earned as well. 
That's a really miserable way to live. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's you. I'm saying it's me. And instead of, instead of following what Jesus said, you know, freely give because you freely received, it's more like, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> you know, we're, like, have you, earned, have you earned my love today? Have you earned the right for me to appreciate you today? Has anyone in here ever been completely just flabbergasted by a gift that was given to you? Just like knocked over by the generosity or kindness or thoughtfulness of a gift? And it like, it did something in your heart. You're like, like, you know me, you know me. Or like, this is, this is too, this is too good. Oh, I'm falling apart. It's way too good. Has anyone ever gotten a gift like that? It changes you. And you start to believe that you're worth it. You're like, if, see, I have the coolest friends in the world. They believe in me more than I believe in myself. And because they believe in me, and I know that they are so awesome, I'm thinking, these guys are awesome, and they believe in me so, so, so they have to be right. Because they're awesome. My friends are awesome and they, they think this about me. So I better get, I, it's true. What they're saying about me is true. And it starts to change you. You know, Ashley and I, we went through a, a really hard time. We had, uh, last October, we had a, a we lost a, a baby in the womb. And it was so stinking painful. I mean, just, we were just covered in sorrow and it shipwrecked us emotionally and financially. It was a very expensive situation. And at that time, we were not doing all that great financially. And you know what happened? My friends rallied together and just started throwing money at us and, and f- cooking us food. And one person gave, you know, enough that we were able to pay our our mortgage and do nothing but sit and be a family and mourn together. And it just, it kept coming. And I just, gift after gift, it was breaking me down even more. Like, God, you're close to the brokenhearted. And I'm thinking, I can't, Lord, you're going to have to stop. This is too much. Like, it's really messing me up, and I, I'm, I'm sick of crying. And then, then another, another gift would come, and I would start crying again because I couldn't believe that people loved me and believed in me like this. See, the only way or reason that we are able to love is because he loved us first. In 1 John 4.10, it says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our, for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Did you see what came first there? 
I'm, let me read another one. This is the same book, same t- chapter. This is 1 John 4, 19 and 20. We love because he loved us. Or sorry, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Again, did you see what came first in those two instances of love? It's God loved us first. And John's really quick to point out, like, like verse after verse, back to back, he'll say, God loved you. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. And so now you're able to love people. Do you know, if, if you try it the other way, like if you don't realize how much God loves you and you just try to love people, it's, you're going to burn out. Let me prove it to you. <laughs> well, I've proved it in my own life over and over. <laughs> Open up to uh, John 13. So we're going we're gonna to camp out here for just a second. John 13. This is John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. That's crazy, Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the CEO of the universe. He knows it. He knows it right here in verse 3. John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that God placed everything, all things, the whole universe, under his feet, under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, because he knew all that, what he decided to do was strip down to his skibbies, fill up a, a basin with water, and wash the dirty camel poo off of his subjects' feet. 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 <laughs> Guys, Jesus could not get low enough. He couldn't. It says in uh, Philippians, that even though Jesus is God, he basically, he, he didn't aspire to have equality with the Father. He had preferred the Father. He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. So he emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of man, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, not only did he leave this, this place of glory where he's known as king of the universe, CEO, CEO of the universe. Like, it says, 
like Jesus was the one that created, like the Father spoke and like Jesus was the paintbrush basically, created everything. He left that place of glory and got inside a human frame forever. But that, like, that wasn't low enough. He couldn't, he couldn't like, descend from heaven like a god. He had to be born of an unwed teenage girl on the run from the law. Like Bonnie and Clyde style. Like he was born of an unwed teenage girl. Uh, but that wasn't good enough. He had to be laid in a cattle feeder and wrapped in snot rags. That, that's how the king of glory entered our world. And he grew up like being continually misunderstood and mistreated. He had to face every temptation. He had to face everything that we've had to face and so much more. He was tempted in every single way. That wasn't low enough. Like when he had, the, when he had all the followers he could think of, he had enough people to make an army in John chapter 6. He had to disperse them all and say that like, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood or else you have no part in me. And then, so he loses everybody except for these 12 guys that really don't even understand why they're with him at this point anyway, because he just said something crazy about being cannibals. And it, but that wasn't low enough. Jesus had to allow a, a, a demonized government that was supposed to be subject to him, falsely accuse him, Strip him naked, rip the skin off of his back. He couldn't get, that wasn't low enough. He had to hang, he had to hang with thieves. He had to be, he had to be known as nothing. He had to die in the, in the worst way, uh, a way that was only reserved for the most vile people. And it said he descended into the lower regions. The king of the universe got down and washed the dirty feet of the people whose molecules he created. He showed us what a real leader does. He knew what kind of authority he had, and that's why he had to serve. To show you what real love was. He knew that everything had been placed under his feet. So he got under your feet. So after he washed their feet and dried them. He came to to Simon Peter who said to him. Lord are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter. You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean. So from this we know that Jesus wasn't talking about purifying Peter. 
He wasn't talking about making Peter holy or cleaning him up. He actually just said, you're already clean. He, he, he goes on to say this even more clearly in John 15, 3, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. He's working for Peter. He's doing something for Peter that Peter doesn't even want to do for himself. He's saying, you got to let me work for you or else you will have no part with me. You've got to slow down and let me work for you. You have to slow down and realize how much I love you or you will be of no use to anyone. You have to sit there and let me serve you. You have to let me love you first or you're not going to love anyone. We love because he first loved us. This has to be first. You can't go off on some mission around the world if, he ha- if you haven't first received his love. He wants to work for us. Who in here wants to serve Jesus really well for all the days of your life? Who in here wants to be an effective minister that knows how to love? You'll never do it if this doesn't happen first. You'll never make it. You'll have no part in him. If you don't first let him love you and let him work for you, you've got to receive his love. Every reason or motive to serve God other than love will eventually and inevitably fail. Jesus goes on a couple chapters later, John 15, 15. He says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. You know, he actually did call them servants up to that point. He was like, you know, a servant's not greater than his master. He used the word servant many times. But at this point, Jesus is saying, guys, you're not my servants anymore. You're my friends. They got it. They let him love them first. So you can't be friends with someone until you have nothing to gain from them. If, you have some, if you're trying to gain something from them, it's a business partnership. If, see, Vincent's my best friend. Do you know why? Because I really enjoy him. Like, we can, we can hang out, and there's just always a, a connection. There's always a, a bromance going on. There's chemistry I, and and I don't call up Vince and say something like, "Hey, hey, man, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily really want to hang out with you, but I'd really love a six pack of soda. Um, so, would you, would you, would you bring it to my house and then leave, or, <laughs> or basically?" The only reason I'm calling you up to hang out is because I don't want to drive to Kroger 
and buy a six-pack of soda for myself, so would you drive one to me? That would not be a friendship. He would be my soda delivery man. (laughs) See, Jesus and the disciples had reached a point where they just enjoyed one another. They weren't trying to gain something. The disciples were no longer trying to earn the free gift of life that Jesus gave them. If they were trying to earn something from Jesus, then they would be that really awkward friend that feels like he doesn't belong. (laughs) They'd be that that awkward guy that's always trying to, like, drop a a, a really awkwardly phrased joke and, and trying to fit in and... Because he feels like really insecure about being in the group. and No, he's, he's saying we're friends now. You, you don't have anything to gain from me. I don't have anything to gain from you. I just, I just enjoy being around you. Enjoy me. <laughs> <laughs> um. You guys understand? I, I, I've never, I've never tried tried to just say this before, but it's just gotten under my skin lately that like we're not going to be able to enjoy this life with Him and run our course and complete our calling until we've let Him show His real love to us. It's not going to work. Every other motive to follow him. If you're trying to like rack up a whole bunch of rewards in heaven, that's an ulterior motive. If you're like, whatever reason, if you feel like time is short and I want to be known as a world changer, it's not going to work. You're going to be a resounding gong. It has to be love. You have to be transformed by his mercy. You have to be motivated by that free gift. We have to realize that we, could, we cannot earn it. It is absolutely free. And after that, there's a good chance you're going to be a way, way better servant or friend or world changer than, if you, than, than all the other people that are just trying to be world changers. Zeal, if, if, if I'm just trying to stoke zeal in order to get people to go out and bring the kingdom in Dallas, it's nothing more than witchcraft. I'm just, I'm just trying to manipulate souls in order to feel bad about their current uh, ability to save souls. Let's get out there and save some souls. It's not going to work. You have to know what you're worth. All right. I think that's good. <laughs> Let's stand and pray and receive his love. Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice. We ask God that you would you'd pull out every bit of those... Um, um, 
performance mentality, every bit of that oppression in our mind that that says we got to do great things in order to make a great name for ourselves and all this stuff. We, We actually want to receive your love because then we know that we'll do great things. Like that's, that's what we see in scripture. Those guys received your love and they went and turned the world upside down. They received your love and all the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law recognized that they had been with you, Jesus, because they were unlearned men speaking with such confidence. Lord, we want to be like those guys. We want to really, really, really receive your love. This is something that we cannot work up or conjure This is something that has to be done by you, Holy Spirit. Would you break in our lives and deliver us? Would you break into our minds and show us how much you love us? Would you show us that you would do it again? That If it was only one of us, that you would have gone to the cross. Would you show us what we're worth to you, Jesus? That forever and ever, you bought us at the highest price. And forever and ever, that's what we will be worth. Would you show us your love? Lord, we want to... We want to be like the reformed Peter who let you wash his feet. We want to let you wash our feet now, Lord. We're done inventing ministries and ways to serve you. We want you to serve us. Woo! We're done inventing ministries to serve you. We want you to serve us first, Lord. It's what you came to do. I want to let you love me. I want to let you love me, Jesus. I want to get delivered from self-hatred and false humility. I want to let you love me.